Good afternoon, Seven Investors. Welcome to the second attempt at the Friday edition of Seven Investing Now. My name is Daniel Brooks Klein. You can call me Dan. You can call me whatever you want today. It has not been an easy day. I'm joined today by Matt Cochran, Max Chatsko. Uh, guys, we bantered a little bit about football, but uh, I know I'm excited. I'm an England Patriots fan. We have the Houston Texans this weekend, but Matt, you're a Miami Dolphins fan. That's why we hate each other so much. Um, no, just kidding. Matt and I actually had dinner this week. Matt, are you excited about the prospects for the Dolphins here? I'm excited that uh, Brady and Belichick's 20-year run at dominance of running the AFC East is finally uh, might be over. So that's the real excitement. Like, I, I know we're battling it out, and the Buffalo Bills are good, and Tua still makes some rookie mistakes, so he's looked incredible. Um, but the real excitement there is that the Patriots, I think their their time has come. I am not so sure about that. Max, I don't think you're a giant football fan, but can you really root for Ben Roethlisberger? Like, pretty much a criminal there. Like, are, are you a fan? Absolutely. When you live in Pittsburgh, it's your, you know, you have to, you have to be a sports fan. So, um, unfortunately, that includes rooting for the Pittsburgh Pirates. So, uh, we try to, you know, ignore that part. But, yes, Steelers, 9-0. We're going to be 10 and 0 because we play the Jaguars this weekend. So looking forward to that. The Pirates need to bring back their old jaunty hats there. This, of course, is seven investing now. We're going to cover the news of the day, but with a long term perspective. Max, we're going to start with you for the top story. So there's been vaccine news. I think like 75% of our shows have in some fashion focused on vaccines. But why don't you talk a little bit about the two things that happened later this week the, uh, the Pfizer news and the AstraZeneca news? Right, Dan. So uh, we've had a lot of news in recent weeks with three different vaccines now. So at first it was the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. Uh, later that was followed up by the Moderna vaccine. And then uh, just uh, recently we've heard more about the Oxford University and uh, AstraZeneca vaccine. So all of these are the front runners. Uh, these three are the ones that are most likely to be approved uh, under emergency use authorizations uh, by regulators around the world. So um, the Oxford University and AstraZeneca vaccine works a bit differently than the two others uh, from Pfizer and Moderna. Uh, so it's not based on messenger RNA, mRNA. Uh, it's based on, uh, a, on a deactivated virus. This virus usually uh, provides, uh, or it, it gives uh, chimpanzees respiratory illnesses, but they've nuked all that so it can't infect you. Uh, and they just engineered it to express the spike protein from SARS-CoV-2, which is causing the pandemic. Uh, on its surface, and they inject that to you, your body triggers uh, an immune response. It learns a memory of that from your adaptive immune uh, system. And uh, that's how you become immune and uh, have protection against SARS-CoV-2. So, uh, so, so Max, let me jump in here. As a regular person, these are two different types of vaccines. If they both prove equally effective, is one better for different types of person? Should you want one or the other? I know the AstraZeneca vaccine has proven very successful in older people, but are there are there other sort of practical reasons that makes one different than the other? Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm going to ask Sam if she can pull up that graphic. Who knows if we can get that going today, given how we've been doing. Oh, there we go. <laughs> so yeah, so one of the more practical uh, concerns for distributing and storing these vaccines is what temperature they can be safely stored at. So this graphic here shows uh, the temperatures that each vaccine candidate, and that's important to point out, it's still a candidate, it's not actually approved, any of these, uh, what temperatures they need to be stored at to remain viable for six months. So as you can see, uh, the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine needs to be stored at negative 70 degrees Celsius. That's negative 94 degrees Fahrenheit, very cold. Uh, that's going to pose problems 
uh, because this isn't going to be at your Walgreens or your CVS, your doctor's office. Many hospitals don't even have uh, storage for this. Um, so the problem there is it can be stored uh, in a normal freezer, but only for about five days, or maybe it can push that to like 15 days. Um, so it needs two doses, 28 days apart. That's going to pose some logistical problems because you're going to need two different containers uh, to dose every individual. Uh, Moderna has a little bit more, a uh, little warmer temperature, even though it's still based in mRNA, negative 20 degrees Celsius for six months. Uh, and that can actually be kept uh, in a normal fridge or freezer, which is you know common in pharmacies and hospitals and doctor offices uh, and remain viable for 30 days. So uh, that has a bit more of an advantage, at least, or fewer logistical hurdles in that sense. Uh, and then the Oxford uh, University and AstraZeneca vaccine candidate can be stored safely at six months remain viable at a normal freezer or fridge temperature. Uh, so that might have some, again, fewer hurdles than uh, each of the prior two. Now, one other thing to keep in mind, Dan, is you know, these vaccines will be available globally, but not in the same amounts, right? So the Oxford Nanopore, I'm sorry, I keep saying, I keep wanting to say Nanopore. It's a, a company in sequencing that I like. Uh, University of Oxford uh, vaccine uh, is mostly going to the UK most of their doses. And then the second uh, location to get the most doses will be the EU. And then a, a lower number will be going to the United States. Uh, they also actually have an agreement to send 1 billion doses uh, to India. Moderna, again, it's an American company. So it's most of their doses are going to be going, uh, staying here domestically. And then uh, BioNTech and Pfizer, most of their doses are going to the EU uh, with a smaller amount coming to the United States. So um, and again, depending on where you live, if you live in a city or in a rural community in the U.S., you might not have the option to choose all three. Um, so it's not really we're not going to have a choice, I don't think, in a lot of areas and especially early on. So I have no idea if anyone is seeing this. We uh, stopped and started the show, which I think confused Facebook and Twitter. So uh, if you're watching, please uh, add a comment. I think it's very likely that we are taping a live show that people we will, will be able to see later when we repost it. Uh, if it could go wrong, it has gone wrong today. So let's talk about the market implications of this. Max, it's going to be maybe the spring before these are widely available. And obviously there's going to be a hierarchy of who can get them. We don't know what that's going to look like because we have a, a little bit of a government mess at the moment. Uh, but that being said, Matt, are you optimistic that uh, in the spring life will be at least kind of back to normal? Uh, yeah. You know what, Dan? I, I am optimistic. Uh, I would call it cautiously optimistic, but optimistic nevertheless. You know, I think people are largely chomping at the bit to get back to normal. And when given safety reassurances, uh, I think they will gladly get back to resuming everyday life. And I suspect when there is an official all clear signal given, uh, we're going to see pent up demand for things like travel and live events and other in-person experiences. That uh, Max, now why don't you give us the medical read on that? Do you think that's that's practical uh, or do you think that's being optimistic given the production issues here? Yeah, I think right now, I think most people are still pricing like the best case scenario, even in their own individual lives, not just pricing into the markets. Um, you know, this is going to take time. It might take up to a year, maybe till the summer next fall uh, before we really vaccinate a good amount of the population. That said, I think, um, you know, by the end of the year, uh, we probably have about 100 million cases in the United States. So close to one in three Americans will probably have had a SARS-CoV-2 infection uh, since the pandemic has started. So that's not enough for herd immunity, but it will break a lot of chains of transmission. Uh, so even if a lot of people aren't vaccinated early on, I think by the time next spring rolls around, 
uh, the virus just isn't going to have a lot of hosts to infect, uh, certainly less than it, uh, you know, the year prior. So in a weird way, that's going to help uh, to, you know, help life get back to normal sooner and not necessarily just because uh, there's a vaccine out. Max is being very optimistic about Americans' willingness to get vaccinated. Uh, for those of you watching this, I apologize. I am pretty sure we are not live and we are actually just taping this. We had a bit of a technical snafu at the beginning uh, where we don't know what went wrong. It wouldn't play our open video. It was repeating some of the audio. So we stopped the feed, left, and I think that killed all of our live feeds. So we apologize, but we will make this available. Obviously, if you're seeing it now, you figured out that we made it available uh, after the fact through different channels. Guys, we are going to move on. We are, of course, uh, brought to you by 7investing. We are almost half the team of 7investing advisors. What do we do? We give you seven stock picks. Each one of us picks our highest conviction stock each month, and we give you a lot as on to, as to why we're picking it. We're actually taping later this afternoon our pitch calls where we all talk to each other and we say, okay, here's 15 minutes. Here's why I picked this stock that you've never heard of or in Max's case, a stock no one's ever heard of. Um, and this is why I like it. And we make slides. And then during the month, we update you. We make those calls available to our members. So if you're not a member, uh, feel free. Please join us at seveninvesting.com slash subscribe. But Matt, we're going to head into what we're watching. And you uh, you brought up a story. I didn't actually see this one today. It is giant banking news. PMC has agreed to acquire BBVA USA for $11.6 billion. Matt, tell us what that means. Oh, that's right, Dan. Yeah, it's, it's a very big deal. It's going to create a coast-to-coast -coast bank with more than $560 billion in assets and uh, almost 3,000 branches across more uh, 25 states. Uh, and that includes uh, 29 of the top 30 markets. So for PNC, this uh, will expand their reach to include Texas, Alabama, Florida, Colorado, California, New Mexico, and Arizona. That uh, So why is a bank growing at a time where there's a lot of pressure on banks? There's a lot of alter alternative ways to bank. Is this more about obtaining customers or is it more about the physical assets? I actually think, it, Dan, it, it, it's almost uh, like it's either grow or die. Like, uh, you know, PNC, well, for one, just specific to this merger, PNC management believes that they can cut $900 million in annual expenses out of BBVA's uh, budget, which is actually, they might actually do. That sounds like a lot, but PNC has had success uh, integrating acquisitions before uh, with this same game plan. Uh, it explains their reach. Now, consolidation is going to be coming to the banking space. We saw this last year when BB&T merged with SunTrust to form Truist Financial, and it was a little bit different. For them, it's more about bank branch efficiency. They covered a lot of the same areas, and they're going to be able to cut out a lot of branches and still cover the same area. This expands, this deal specifically expands PNC's reach to include a lot more markets and a lot more opportunity for them. So Matt, you talked a little bit about in your notes here, uh, lower interest rates are not great for banks. It's hard. It's harder for them to make money. Um, but this will actually help them in a, in a certain area there. You, you use the term NIM. I don't know what NIM is, but feel free uh, to sure. share. So like as, as interest rates lower, that, that hurts banks, uh, right? So NIM is net interest margin. And what that means is, is like, say, like if you go back 12 months, 24 months, 36 months, go back years, like uh, you know, it wasn't too long ago, but you could open up a savings account at a bank and you might get 1% interest rate uh, on your savings account. And the bank would turn around, 
take that deposit and use it to lend out for like, let's say a mortgage for four and a half percent. And so that's called that difference is the, uh, the net interest margin. But as interest rates lower, like, okay, they might now you open up a savings account and you might get 0.25% interest rate, but now they can only uh, go out and lend that money for like a mortgage or something like that for, for 3%. So that interest has narrowed significantly and that puts a lot of pressure on banks. And so what you're going to see is I think you're going to see a lot more consolidation in this space because uh, like because of that kind of pressure and because of pressure for more nibble fintechs uh, like Squares Cash App or or uh, PayPal and, and, and PayPal's Venmo and also online banks like Chime or Ally. Uh, they're putting a lot of pressure on legacy banks uh, from one end and the banks are getting more pressure on the other end from the contraction of the net interest margin rate. And that's putting a lot of pressure on banks. So if banks are going to be doing this for one, it's going to give them more tech firepower and it's going to be uh, more efficient. They can cover more area and they can cover more area more efficiently. Thanks, Matt. And for those of you seeing this, you obviously massive technical difficulties today. Our live feed started. We cut it off. Uh, we were having technical problems and then we're back and we're not live. So we're recording this. We hope you are watching it. Please send us notes with your questions uh, to that. You could send it to us at 7investing on Twitter or info at 7investing.com. Max, you want to talk fuel cell stocks and you made the note. This can't possibly end well. <laughs> um. Oh, if you look at um, some of the year-to-date stock charts of fuel cell stocks, they're absolutely through the roof. It's insane. So Plug Power is up over 650% this year. And then Bloom Energy, Fuel Cell Energy, and Ballad Power Systems all up over 110% uh, year-to-date. And that, to me, that is just crazy. So the reason for this, though, Dan, is you know all of these companies have kind of changed their storytelling and their corporate marketing and their starting to point investors towards this opportunity in hydrogen. Uh, so that would be, you know, everyone's kind of talking about the hydrogen economy, right? So this is like one day we'll be making hydrogen from, you know, renewable energy or nuclear power, and we'll be all driving along with zero emission vehicles and throwing it through pipelines. And it's great. And I think that's a flawed thinking. I, I don't think the hydrogen economy is going to work very well. That uh, So, there's a lot of ways this can go off the rails. What, what are your, some of your favorite things that go wrong? We always talk about things we like to invest in. It's rare we actually talk about things that uh, we don't expect to go well. Yeah, so um, you know, I, I see this as a source of technological hype. Um, you know, previous examples might include you know, algae biofuels in the 2000s and 2010s uh, or 3D printing. Remember when that was going to be the next big thing? Or autonomous vehicles <laughs> a few years ago. You know, so some of these things have, you know, been relegated to niche markets. Autonomous vehicles will probably take off, but it kind of got hyped up a little too soon, too early. Uh, for hydrogen, there's some major uh, technical uh, challenges uh, and some misconceptions as well that are floating around. So one of the common things that I see, and you might see it as well when you're looking at hydrogen stocks or fuel cell stocks, uh, is that hydrogen has a high energy density. I see it written all the time, lots of articles, people talk about it, and that's absolutely wrong. Hydrogen has one of the lowest energy densities of any fuel. What people will get confused about is that it has a high specific energy. So the difference here is that uh, energy density is the energy per mass. Uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, all right, let me, energy density is the energy per volume, right? So that looks very high, but you have to compress hydrogen to 
you know, in ridiculous standards in order to get that energy density out. But specific energy, which is what really matters more uh, for fuels, is um, it's very low. It's the energy per unit mass. So hydrogen is very lightweight uh, and therefore it has a ridiculously low specific energy. And that's what matters for uh, fuel cells. Um, so, Sam, I think we have another graphic. If you can throw that up for. Right. So here's from the Energy Information Administration. And this is just uh, comparing, you know, the different energy densities, both the uh, you can see the. Uh, energy density on the x-axis, that's per unit volume. And then the specific energy, uh, which matters a little bit more for hydrogen, is on the y-axis. So uh, yes, it has a high uh, specific energy, but it's uh, very low in terms of the energy density per volume. So compared to gasoline and diesel, uh, hydrogen fuels just aren't really going to work that well. It's not very pragmatic. We'd have to store them in tanks that are either very heavy, which isn't great when you're rolling down the highway or have a big truck, uh, that's going to slow you down and throw you off. Um, or if we even are stationary at, at fueling stations, um, we have to have these super cool tanks uh, or high compression tanks to store it. It's just not going to work very well. Uh, similarly, oh, go ahead. Yeah, let me let me jump in. So I think it's fair to say here that you don't believe hydrogen cells are going to be the future of this. And you're you're generally, you're bullish on batteries. Is that reasonable? Uh, yes, yes, yes. So, you know, hydrogen has other issues in terms of like pipelines too. We can't actually transport uh, hydrogen fuel through pipelines very well, steel pipelines, because uh, it causes something called hydrogen brittlement. And all you need to know about that is that it can blow up your pipeline. Uh, so we don't want to do that. And a lot of pipeline operators might be uh, pretty cautious about how much hydrogen they actually want to transport, um, you know, because it's uh, a huge risk for them. So the, you know, uh, main conclusion, I guess, is yes, this is kind of hyped up hydrogen fuels. It sounds great on paper, but there's a lot of uh, technical issues that stand in the way. It's not a very pragmatic solution. And, you know, the, the reality here is that uh, electric fuels, batteries, that's the future of transportation. It's not hydrogen. As we move on on this very broken, very struggling edition of 7investing now, which uh, hopefully you eventually get to see this. We're going to do our best. But guys, it is time to enter the home stretch. Wonder Woman, 1984. That is a giant movie. The first one did about $900 million globally. Uh, it's going to debut in theaters, sort of, uh, but it's also going to be on HBO Max. Matt, this is an area you and I both cover, sort of, in entertainment. It's a really interesting play. This is the biggest movie that's going to be mostly available for streaming. And I think the idea is, well, we have this investment. We don't want to leave it sitting around. Can it drive people to HBO Max? Do you think this is the right call, Matt? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I mean, uh, look, it, it's, it's a tough situation uh, for these studios, uh, for players like HBO Max. Like, what what is the right decision in a bad situation? And I think the best way to, like, make lemonade from our make lemonade from lemon so to speak is like is to do this it, i streaming is clearly uh like going to be it is already huge but it's, it's just going to get bigger uh as we move forward and uh i think like this is the way to do that in a bad situation like this uh take your big blockbusters and put it exclusively or jointly with theaters like on your streaming service and and get get subscribers I actually have very mixed feelings about this. I think it's kind of a mistake. I think this is a movie that probably would have been a billion dollar 
driver and i don't think it's going to get that many people to subscribe to hbo max and stick around i I think disney plus i think that strategy works i'm not sure hbo max that that strategy works it's sort of disney as the whole family model uh it's it's about a third the price that's important it's uh, 6.99 versus 14.99 or maybe about half the price um so it's an interesting idea i'll be watching wonder woman 84 it will also be coming out in theaters some people will go see it in theaters. Uh, movie theaters are open because hey, we live in Florida. Like we 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 don't we don't worry about that kind of stuff. Uh, I won't be going to the movies anytime soon, guys. It is now time to hit the finisher. I think we could all use a drink after how the show has been going, but it's uh it's only twelve thirty, so we're not going to do that. This is from our very own Austin Lieberman. This poll got fifty seven hundred and forty votes. Uh, I believe Tesla. NVIDIA and Zoom will be the next trillion dollar market company caps, market cap companies in that order. Which do you think will be first? Uh, About 60%, 58.4% of you said Tesla, 28.6% said NVIDIA, 7% said Zoom, 6% said other. And there were 69 comments on this. So there were a lot of people going in other directions. Guys, I think it's going to be Tesla too. I also think it's possible that Tesla gets to a trillion and then goes to half a trillion and then goes to two trillion. There could be a lot of volatility there. Max, your thoughts? You know, I think just because Tesla's kind of this like momentum or like almost a cult stock, right? Like uh, that's going to help it a lot and it's going to make it volatile. But I mean, I don't know what the valuation is now. It's over like 400 billion, right? It's crazy. So based on the business, I don't think it's worth that. But, um, you know, how do you argue against Tesla getting to a trillion dollars, whether it deserves it or not? That uh, Matt, I'll give you the last word as we uh, blessfully uh, close out the show. <laughs> I don't yeah. think that's I don't think that's a word, but uh, it, it'll do today. I think we all understand what you mean, Dan. Uh, like out of those choices, I would have picked Nvidia, but I voted other, and I think it's going to be Facebook. Uh, you know, I think uh, Facebook has a, a lot of. Uh, Great tailwinds coming up, which includes the Oculus, which is already like it's already like uh, exceeding their expectations for sales. It's at a reasonable price point, and I think it gives Facebook a whole other option. WhatsApp is opening up for payments in India, but Dan, real quick, let me throw out another option that not too many people talk about, and that's Taiwan Semi. Uh, they make uh, they're almost a five hundred billion dollar market cap now, and they make uh, like many semiconductors that no one else can right now. It's almost like a monopoly, and they're scaling. And I think it will not be too long before they reach the one trillion dollar market cap. It's going to be an interesting one to follow. That closes this edition of Seven Investing Now that none of you are able to see now. Hopefully, you will be able to see it later. We're going to try to rebroadcast this. We're going to post it on, on, on all our feeds and try to put the links. So obviously, if you're, if you're seeing me say this, you know that that happened. Uh, so I am Dan Klein. For Matt Cochran, for Max Chatsko, uh, we'll see you Monday. We'll try to do better. Guys, see you later. People on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.